Uh, all right, great. Uh, I have a question for you. I'm standing like it's a press conference. Very important. Uh, has anyone heard the name Anthony Weiner? Yeah? No? Can I see your hands? Hands. I'm feeling a little bit nervous being in this position as I'm talking about this. Um, okay, so not that many of you. How many of you had heard of Anthony Weiner before three weeks ago? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right, so Anthony Weiner is, well, was a, uh, a politician in New York, and he was really rising quite quickly, going to have some amazing jobs, actually, uh, in politics, until he sent a photo of himself in his underpants to somebody on Twitter and accidentally... I think he posted it instead of sending it. Uh, and, well, now the world has seen him in his underpants. Uh, and then he came to a press conference and confessed in front of everybody. And obviously, actually, it was really sad because um, he's married and he didn't send it to his wife. And uh, well, you can imagine. Uh, but, and there was a lot of umming, actually, at the press conference as well. And the question just comes up, what was he thinking? I mean, really, what was he thinking? Uh, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? But the reality is that actually all of us, if we had our thoughts and if we had, you know, the stuff that we do, if they were put onto Twitter somehow we'd all be stood in front of a lot of people making a lot of apologies. And so Anthony is by no means alone. He just got caught. Uh, and the reality is that we all do very stupid things. I mean, that's, that's the question really, isn't it? Is what was he thinking? And the problem is his thinking had somehow, somewhere gone wrong. I mean, it, it turned out that this wasn't the first time that he'd done it. It turned out this was, I, I think, about the seventh uh, of these sorts of photos that he sent. Uh, and people had told him, we're watching you. You know, we're watching you very carefully. And he still did it. And, you know, you just ask yourself, you know, what, really, what was he thinking? Um, and what we're going to see today is that this is no surprise to God at all. Um, in, in this part of the book of Ephesians, we're going to see that, that God basically tells us that as we harden our hearts and as we sin, it actually wrecks our thinking. It wrecks our thinking until eventually all of us will do things that are just completely insane, actually. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, so what I want us to do is I'll just pray uh, that God would really speak to us through this passage. Father God, I thank you so much for your incredible love for us. I thank you for your your rescuing that you did in, in, in Jesus. I thank you that you have pulled us out of the pit. You have saved us from sin. You've saved us from stupidity. Uh, you've saved us from judgment. Uh, and I pray, Father, really, that as we're, as we're looking at your word today, as we get into these amazing parts of Ephesians, which are just so practical, I pray that you would just give us a real heart of, of worship I pray that you'll just come and reveal your truth to us by your spirit uh, and so that we can truly know who we are in Christ and we can live our lives for the purpose that you have in the world. I, I pray that you would do that for us, for each one of us, Father. 
Uh, and I pray that just as I'm speaking, you'll um, you know, just bless what I say that's true and protect people from what I say that may not be entirely accurate. Um, so I thank you, Father, for your amazing love. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Uh, in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Um, I'm going to read the whole passage, actually, that we're going to be going through today. It's not too long, actually. It's, so it's uh, Ephesians 4, 17 to uh, 25. So if you want to open in your Bibles, just go there. It will be coming up on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. Okay. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way you learned Christ. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus... You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what we've been seeing as we've been going through uh, Ephesians is that it's so important for us to have our minds renewed. Uh, And the only reason we can have our minds renewed is because we've been created new in Christ. So we have a new identity in Christ. Uh, But the problem that we find is that actually our thinking doesn't follow uh, our identity in Christ. Uh, And so what we need to do is, is have God renew our minds and then we can live the lives that God has planned for us. And actually, uh, this is so important that we're going to put it into two parts, actually. So next week, Patrick will do the second part. This week, I'll be doing the first part. And we're going to separate it out into the two parts. Um, There's a a part of having our minds renewed where we need to actually realize that sin has a terrible mind-wrecking power on us. And the good news is that because we're in Christ... We actually have the power in our new identity in him to put it off. We're no longer slaves of it. And that's really the part we'll be focusing on today. And then next week, Patrick will take us through uh, just the fact that once we put off that old way, we actually need and get to put on the new way where we've been created, as Rich said, you know, after the image of God. Uh, So it's pretty exciting, actually. These are some of the most helpful verses that I've found in maybe the last year, two years. Uh, It's been really, really helpful for me. So I I hope you benefit today. Um, Just just to give you an idea of where this verse uh, fits, where these verses fit into the context um, of things. Paul has basically spent three chapters explaining that in union with Christ, believers are now children of God. So God is now our father and we're one body with Christ in the world. Um, and actually we're the temple where God dwells, which is just incredible. Uh, and then at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, okay, now that you know these incredible things about you, I want you to live in a manner worthy of this calling that you've been called with. 
Uh, and so that's basically what Richard took us through in the first kind of six verses and the fact that actually we've been united as the body of Christ. And so God wants us to love each other and just pull together and realize that we're one and all connected. And that, that's so key. Uh, but actually, God isn't like a boring God. You know, you can see this from creation. You can see it from all of the different faces here. Uh, he, he doesn't make us all the same. And when he puts us into Christ, we don't all have exactly the same function, actually. So we're all filled with God, but just in a slightly different way because we're all coming as different parts in the body uh, doing different things. So we're unified, but the way that we're unified is we use our diverse gifts to be the one body. And so this is, this is what Paul really has been talking about uh, up to here. And uh, now what he's going to say is that it's great, yeah, we, we want to be united. We want to be using our gifts to bring that unity. But now he's saying actually there's stuff that can break that unity. And actually it's stuff that messes with our minds. So actually uh, as we engage in sin, it wrecks our minds. Uh, and if, if we do that, then it's more difficult for us to to be unified actually it's more difficult for us to use our gifts and eventually if we just carry on like that we just won't care and so we won't uh, and this this is kind of the trajectory that, that paul is is warning us against in these passages and so uh let's see yes uh what i've got it down as and so if if you want to take notes or something i'd, I'd recommend just jotting down just these few ideas they'll be up on the screen for a little bit um God's basically going to tell us that sinning damages our minds and then the ability for God, God to work through the church. So it damages our minds and then it damages the ability for us to do the work of God in the world. But we have been made new in Christ, cutting off the power of sin. So that's now our ability. So the first one is, why should we not live in sin? The second one is, well, what enables us to stop sinning? And the third one is then actually, well, practically, how do we do that? How do we stop sinning? Uh, and we'll see that what we must do is have our minds changed by God. So that's what, that's what we're going to find. So we'll begin with the first one, actually. So we'll, we'll say, God, why should we not live in sin? Uh, and, and God actually doesn't want us to live in sin because, as I've said, it damages our mind, which in turn causes us to damage each other and ourselves, actually. And so we can't actually do what he's called us to do. So if you look with me in verse 17, it says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So what's, what's Paul talking about here, living as the Gentiles do? Well, he's been really clear in the first few chapters. There's those who are connected to God, who are alive in God, in Christ, and then there's everybody else, basically. And so that's, that's basically what he's talking about here. Do you remember back in uh, chapter 2, uh, 1 to 3, where Paul was talking about the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, all of, all of those, those things? Um, and, and basically we're living in a world where individuals who live like this basically all combine together to form a culture where we all live like this. Uh, and actually into that mix, there's the role of evil spiritual powers kind of affecting both the culture and the individuals, which in turn affect the individuals and affect the culture. Yeah, so you can see that the picture that God's forming there of just a, a kind of a world system which is 
disconnected from God and just gone wrong, and which is damaging and causing damage and has ideas which are wrong and faulty, which then further causes damage. I mean, you can see how it all kind of fits together. Um, and this actually is the world that we're saved from. God saved us, and not, not because we're wonderful, not because, you know, we did something so great, but actually just because he had mercy on us. And so he threw out this life ring, which is the gospel message, and we, we took hold of it. That was, that was our great privilege. You know, that's, that's our great contribution to salvation is we grabbed onto the, the rescuing life ring that God sent us. Um, and so then he goes on to say that actually uh, the world is in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. And this is, this is a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Futile thinking. I mean, you know, we think of people in the world, you know, brilliant people. Obviously, you know, you have... Uh, people solving all sorts of technological problems, you know, going to the moon, you know, just doing incredible things. And you think, futile thinking? It's a little bit strong, isn't it? Uh, you know, you have obviously brilliant scientists, philosophers, and so on. Futile thinking? Uh, but what Paul is talking about is the fact that uh, in the most basic sense, in terms of realizing that there's a God who's created all things... Most people just refuse to accept it. They just refuse to believe it. And this then totally skews their thinking. And so, yeah, they have brilliant minds. The, the, uh, the equipment of their mind is, in fact, brilliant. But if they're not recognizing that God is the creator, then their conclusions just slowly are going to go wrong and wrong and wrong. And, you know, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a genius to look at the world and figure out that something has gone wrong. You know, I think we all know that. Uh, but, you know, what God is saying, actually, and, and this is what he goes on to say, it says that they are separated from the life of God, which means that they refuse to accept that God alone gives life and continually gives life to everything and everyone in the world. And so they're separated from that life. And why are they separated? It says because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So the cause of all this futility and darkness of thinking is the fact that people have hardened their hearts to refuse to accept that God is the creator and has some claim on their lives, actually. And you know, we see this in uh, Romans 1.9. Uh, if, if, you, if you're curious, this is a great passage to go to. If you just look at Romans 1.9 all the way through about 20, uh, this is all really unpacked if you want to go into some more detail. But Paul says there, he says, uh, what can be know, known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So when the Bible talks about hardening our hearts, it's talking, about, uh, it's talking about the fact that we're willfully saying no to God. That's what it's talking about. You know, in Psalm 95, it says, if, if you hear the Lord's voice, don't harden your hearts. And then it goes on to, you know, the bad effects that that will bring. But we can see here, actually, can you see the surprising effect of hardening our hearts to God? And this is where it's a lesson for us, actually, because really Paul is, is not speaking to non-Christians here. He's speaking to Christians. 
He's warning them, saying, look, don't live that way. Don't harden your hearts, because the effect that it'll have is actually quite surprising, because it wrecks our thinking. Because you can see, he says, uh, you can see the, the effects. He says, uh, the, the hardening of our hearts to God causes ignorance in us, uh, you know, causes futility of thinking, darkened in understanding, all of these sorts of things. Until eventually you end up in a situation where you never thought you would get to, uh, all because you said no to God in some small thing. Um, and then what, what are the effects of, of sin wrecking our thinking like that? And it's, he says it in the next verse. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So when he says that, having lost all sensitivity, what does he mean when he says that? Well, that, that word, uh, losing sensitivity, uh, in, in Greek was actually talking about marble. I don't know if you know much about marble, but it's incredibly hard. Uh, it's just a very, very hard substance. And the point that Paul's making is that actually as we you know, say no to God and we become more and more darkened in our thinking, actually then we, we begin to become insensitive. Uh, we no longer feel, you know, his conviction. We no longer feel uh, that what we're doing is wrong, actually. Uh, and then the, the effect of that is that then people just give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And this, this is how it goes, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I don't know if you know this, uh, but, you know, when you do something wrong, the first time you do it, 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 you feel it, you know, it feels wrong. But then the next time you do it, maybe it, it's not quite so bad. Uh, and then as the process continues, eventually it, it doesn't feel that bad at all. Uh, and this, this is just a process that we have. It's, it's an effect that we just can't deny. It's just the way that the universe has been kind of put together. Um, and I, I, I saw a film recently where there was just a really great, uh, someone put it into words. It's not a Christian film. The guy was, uh, it was called The Hurt Locker. Has anyone seen The Hurt Locker? Okay. Uh, good. Thanks, mate. Uh, and, and in the film, basically, you have one of the main characters. He's, uh, I wonder if we can go on to, there we go. Uh, so he's a, a bomb disarming expert. Yeah, so he disarms bombs in Iraq uh, relatively recently, say a couple of years ago. This is a story. Um, and this guy is just absolutely fearless. He just loves the thrill of disarming the bombs and being in these incredibly dangerous situations. And he's on a tour of duty, and the film is so stressful. Like, every moment, you're just absolutely on the edge of your seat with your heart pounding. Uh, and then there comes a moment where, actually, his tour of duty ends, and he goes home, and he's with his wife, and he's with his, his son. And he's just talking to his son, and... You know, you realize that what's happened to him over time is that he's just become completely desensitized to everything. And so this, this is what he says to his son. He says, uh, you know, and he's, he's there, his son's in his pajamas, they're just playing in the bedroom together. And he says, you know, you, you love your mommy, your daddy, your nature pajamas. You love everything, don't you? Yeah, you know what, buddy, once you get older, some of the things that you love might not seem so special anymore like your jack-in-the-box. Maybe you realize it's just a piece of tin and a stuffed animal. And then you forget the few things that you really love. 
And by the time you get to my age, maybe it's only one or two things. And with me, I think it's just one. And so he's there at home with his son and his wife, and he just doesn't have the ability to feel it at all. Uh, you know, he's lost all sensitivity. And I think the reality is, you know, I, I, was, I was like this. Like, in my own life, like, before I became a Christian, I was like this. At first, when I did stuff that was wrong, and I, I can't go into detail here because, well, you know, there's age ratings in the world. But um, it, just, it just gets easier. It gets easier every time you do it until eventually you do things and you think, how did I end up here? And it just it doesn't feel bad. But somehow, something in you goes, this can't be right. Um, and so... You know, we can see that God is just right on in what he says. He says they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And I think a lot of people have a, <clears throat> maybe it's like a stereotypical version of uh, Christian morality and what God actually wants from us. You know, they think that God is like the ultimate party pooper. He just doesn't want us having any fun. <clears throat> but the reality is that when, when God talks about the kinds of things that he doesn't want us doing, you know, you can see this later in Ephesians. He talks about the fact that he doesn't want us lying or being angry with each other, stealing, damaging words that basically tear people down, bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, clamor, malice, all of these things. These are the negative things that God just doesn't want for us. And the reason that God doesn't want them for us it's because he loves us. He knows the way that the universe works. He knows the way that he's made us. And he knows that if we continue to just reject him, we're moving further and further away from the light and into the darkness. And it's just, it's just going to be bad. And that's, that's what God wants to protect us from. And Paul is basically saying, don't continue to live in this way. Because actually, as Christians, God, we are justified by faith. So we believe that Jesus died for us. That's what makes us right with God. We're justified by faith. Uh, and so God creates us anew. But God doesn't protect us from the numbing effect of sin and the stupidity in our lives that will result from it. Like, so if we, if we continue on like that, we'll end up with the same results that non-Christians do. And so God's not going to protect us from that sort of thing. Sin is basically deceitful, and it has this effect of ruining our minds so that our whole thinking is ruined. And so obviously God's main concern is for, for us. He, he loves us. He doesn't want us damaging ourselves. But more than that, and this is Paul's big concern when he says that, is Paul's big concern is that we don't end up wrecking the ability of the church to do the work of God in the world. And you can see, like, in, uh, in verse 415, so just before this, and it's so helpful when you're reading the Bible to read through in bigger chunks. Like, don't just take one little verse out of context. Try and read, you know, the whole thought. And what, what Paul's been saying is that um, <clears throat> he says in 415, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
This is God's goal for us, is that as the church, we will be constantly doing this. So in the truth of Jesus, we'll be building each other up and then doing the work of Jesus in the world. Like this is, this is the call on our individual lives and the call on our corporate lives. It's the call on us as PIC in Poznan. This is the call on our lives. And then what Paul is saying is, now don't, don't go back into sin because it wrecks your mind and you won't be able to do this. And so then, actually, and that's been a real kind of negative section, isn't it? You know, don't do this. It's really bad. And then laying out the reasons. But now Paul's going to lay out the positive things. Uh, Paul's going to lay out, actually, um, why, what enables us to stop sinning. So if you have a look with me in verse 20, it says, You, however, did not come to know Jesus this way. Uh, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And so what we're going to see is that through our new identity with Jesus, uh, we have the power to stop sinning and to love as God wants us to love. And this is the, this is the thing. God never wants us to stay in sin. He never wants us just to stop sinning. He wants to push us into a life where we're positively living out his love in the world. That's the, that's the direction that God has for us. He has so much more for us than the kind of stereotype of Christianity, which is don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Yeah? It's so much more than that. This is life in the full. This is the cosmic plan of God in the world. And so let's, let's take a look at what exactly this teaching is. Because this, this is it, isn't it? Like, and what Paul lays out here is the principles that he's going to flesh out in the next, say, uh, one and a half, two chapters. So it's so key that we get this. And thank you for concentrating so hard. I know this is a lot of kind of theological stuff all at once. Uh, we're going to get into some practical stuff really soon. Um, he says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Um, so can you see how Christ-centered it is? Like just as I was reading this, it, was just, it just struck me where it says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. It doesn't say come to know about Christ because Christianity is not a set of rules, although there are things that God wants us to do. It's not ultimately a teaching. It's not like a philosophy, although it does have teaching in it. Ultimately, it's about our relationship with the living God through Jesus. And then it says next, it says, surely you heard him. And actually in the NIV, it says, surely you heard of him. In the Greek, the of actually isn't there. So it's just, it just says, surely you heard him. So Christ actually is who we come to know. And it, it's probably obvious by now, but Christ actually is the teacher. We hear Christ when the gospel is preached and we become Christians. We actually hear him speaking to us. Uh, and then it says, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You know, uh, and you can see the huge contrast that Paul's drawing here. You know, he's saying, you know, there's sin, it's deceitful, it lies, it hardens your heart. And now he's saying the truth is in Jesus. Um, so what exactly is the teaching? Well, let's have a look at it. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted through its deceitful desires, and to be continually made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you can see it there. So there's a putting off, 
there's being renewed in the spirit of our minds, or in the attitude of our minds, as it says, and then there's putting on the new self. And just before we get into how this really looks in our lives, we just have to look at one little thing which makes it just a little bit tricky to know exactly what Paul's talking about here. Uh, because when it says you were taught to put off, is this, uh, is this something that Paul wants us to be doing now? Is this something that God wants us? We're supposed to be continually putting something off, being renewed, and then continually putting something on. Is that, is that, what, is that what God wants for us? And, and I think there's a few really good reasons why that's not how we're to take it. Um, so if, if we actually look in other places in the Bible, and if you ever come to a place where you read a passage and you're like, I don't know exactly what this means. Um, then the best thing to do is to look actually in that book to see if you can find anything else. And then you go to the Bible at large to try and find something a little bit clearer. And actually, if you look up this, this phrase, this phrase old self, you know, where it says you're taught to put off your old self. Uh, that phrase actually only appears maybe three times in the New Testament. And two other times, it's really clear uh, and we'll have a look at one of them. In Romans 6.6, 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, being Jesus, uh, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you can see it there. It says the old self was crucified. So this putting off the old self uh, is, is most likely to be when we become Christians. Actually, I don't know if, if you know this, but when you become a Christian, uh, you're united to Christ, and actually the death that Jesus died is applied to you. Yeah? So when Paul says earlier that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we're following the course of this world, that individual that you were, when you become a Christian, is put to death decisively. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says you were taught to put off the old self. And then actually, uh, the incredible thing is that we put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is the thing, it's, it's something cosmic that has happened to us. It is a, a work of absolutely new creation that God has done in us. It's not that we heard some teaching about Jesus and, you know, if we follow the teachings of Jesus then we can slowly become better people. And it would be basically the same as, say, teaching, taking the teachings of, you know, Siddhartha Buddha or, you know, Muhammad or any of these sorts of things. That's, that is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a fundamental new creation work that God does in us. You know, in the beginning of the Bible, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Ephesians 2, it says that uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So you see, we've been radically recreated. And actually, this is what gives us the ability to now put off sin, to stop actually sinning. Okay, so we've seen, just to, just to recap all the thick theological stuff, we've seen that um, we've got to stop sinning. Why? Because it totally wrecks our minds. Uh, and it causes actually us to sin more. Uh, we've also seen that we, we are actually able to stop sinning because God has actually made us new and cut us off from the old self that was enslaved to sin and all of that kind of thing. 
And now we're going to see what we need to be continually doing. And this is the way that we change. This is the way that we change. Um, He says in verse 23, it says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And if you, if you look underneath it, sometimes the NIV is great because it's an interpretation, really. And sometimes it kind of covers over the meanings of things. So it's helpful to look in other translations as well. And actually, the word there uh, for made new, there's two words in Greek. Uh, you've got the word that means to be made brand new. Something didn't exist, and then it was new. Uh, and then there's another word, actually, for when something is made new again. So it was old. And now it's been made new again. And that's the word that he's talking about here. Um, You know, you think of those beautiful old cars. Have you got a slide picture of this? You know, you think of those. Oh, Hmm. Oh well, never mind. Uh, You know, you think of those really beautiful old cars. (laughs) Not a beautiful car. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's it's really old and they've, uh, they've restored it somehow. Some guy has got the car back to his garage and just lovingly week after week, you know, he sands off the rust, buys the parts, puts the new bits in, and slowly it goes from being this hunk of junk in a field somewhere to being actually this restored and beautiful car that they drive around in these old car rallies. And that's, that's what God's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that we're going to be restored. You know, we were like decrepit and corrupt. He's restoring us slowly uh, back to what we should be. And the other thing is that it says, be continually renewed. So this is something that God's got to do for us continually. Uh, The verb is actually in the present continuous. So the other two were in the past. So put off, put on. And now this one is be continually renewed. Um, And the last uh, little thing about this instruction is that it's actually in the passive, which means that it's done to us. Does that make sense? So... It doesn't say restore yourselves. You know, it doesn't say, you know, go into the shop, restore yourselves. It says be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So be renewed, uh, which means that actually God does it to us and for us. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone in for surgery. Uh, last week I had to go and have a mole removed, which was a little bit more traumatic than I thought it would be actually, because I don't speak Polish. <laughs> and I, I walked in, and the, the guy, the, well, the lady actually said, please lie down. I didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, and so she lays me down like this, and then uh, they just feel all sorts of things, not knowing when it's going to begin, not knowing when it's going to end. And uh, it was pretty alarming. But, um, but I didn't do it. Yeah, So I didn't do the surgery. I went in to have the surgery, and, they, and I've got like something like four or five stitches four, says my wife. Uh, So I've got four stitches on my back. Now, I I promise you, I did not do that. I'm a little afraid of needles. Uh, And so actually it was done to me. But really, in the time before that, I'd been meaning to have it done for a really long time. Uh, But I didn't. So for like a year, something like a year, we've been trying to get it organized, something like that. And I just haven't got it together. So I went there, but I didn't do the surgery. And actually, it's a little bit like that with us and God and how he renews our minds. Because actually this is a command. It says to us, you go and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So he's saying, you need to go and have something done to you. So it's a little bit like that surgery where if I wasn't there, she wouldn't have done it to me. But ultimately I didn't do it. Can you see it? So that's, that's basically what it's like with God, actually. 
So we come to God, and this is what we're going to see. Um, um, just, just keep going. <laughs> You'll find it eventually. Uh, <clears throat> we come to God in prayer with his word, and we basically come to him and we say, God, please, will you renew my mind? If he doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Uh, and so this is something that God does in the spirit. So by, by his Holy Spirit, he does this for us. Okay, uh, and so we come to him, so we come to God in prayer with the word and have him renew our minds by the spirit. And then what we do is we go out into our real lives and live on the basis of the fact that it's true. So we live in faith on how God's kind of instructed us in our time with him. And all of that is just so important. If you try and just go to the Bible without any dependence on God, it's not going to work. Like, we need to have God actually teach us. Uh, but if, if you just go to God and say, Lord, teach me, without, without his revealed word, then I think also that's going to have relatively small success. And then also, if you don't then go out and live like it's true, then you're also not going to have much success. Uh, so all of those things are necessary. And I think Paul's been really laying down, like, something for us to copy uh, as he's been going through these teachings. Because we've just got to think, how did Paul teach the Ephesians? And I don't know if you remember this, but it's, it's basically laid out. There's a big block of truth. So he basically says, amazing things. You're the children of God. This is what it means. And then he prays. So this is the Apostle Paul with the revelation of God. But he's still, after he's given it to them, he's like, that's not enough. I need to actually pray. So he prays to God that God would then give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might know. So can you see? There's, there's the revealed word of God. Then Paul prays and he says, God, you need to open their eyes so that they can know. So the connection between actually knowledge and the Bible and the spirit of God working in us is all connected. And that's, that's the thing that I want you And you can see it again, you know, in chapter 2, where he explains, actually, you're in Christ. You're part of the body of Christ, the new people of God. You're the temple of God. And then what does he do right after that? He prays. He says, God, please, you know, please strengthen them by your spirit in their inner being so that Christ can dwell in their hearts by faith and so that they may know the love of Christ. So it's not, it's not enough just for us to come to the thing and read it and the information goes into our head. It's just, it's not enough. We need to come to God in prayer and say, God, this is what you've said. I need you to teach it to me. So that's, that's, kind, of the, that's kind of the process. So it's, it's pretty simple, really, isn't it? And then, you know, after, after you've come to God with the word and had him teach you, then you go out and you live like it's true. So that's, that's the thing. So we're going we're gonna to come towards the end here. And I think, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so important that with us, God is teaching us all the time. We're his children. He loves us. He's constantly teaching us. Uh, and so right now, I don't know what's going on in your lives, but God is teaching you something. I don't know what it is, but I, I know that I know that I know that he is teaching you something because he's your father and he loves you. And so the question is, what area of your life is God kind of touching on? Like, say, if I said to you right now, 
without actually saying out loud, like, what sin are you struggling with? Like, what areas are difficult for you at the moment? What are you struggling with? Probably something pops into your mind. And you might at that moment think, no, and try and push it down and try and think of a new one. But probably it was the first one. Uh, and so just as, as that's coming up in your mind, uh, just think about how can you now be going into the week and, and coming to God and saying, you know, God, uh, how, how, can I, how can I be changing? And, you know, as we're going through the book and we've seen that we're new in Christ, we've seen that we're free from the power of sin, we've seen that we've put on Christ. So actually we have the power to step out and be free. Now, this is the amazing truth of the gospel. And I would recommend, though, that if you're doing this, don't try and do this like in the heat of the moment. Yeah, so when you're facing that, whatever challenge it is for you, don't try and do it in the, like at that moment. I mean, yes, you, you do need to stop sinning at, at a certain moment. You know, in, in, in a more obvious way, you know, guys, it's the, it's the summer. You know, spring has turned into summer. It's very hot. The world is a dangerous place <laughs> as you go out. Uh, and so in that moment, yes, you do need to, to do something to, to make sure that your heart is not going into lust or whatever. Um, but this is something really you need to settle with God, like in time when it's just you and him, and you've just got some time for him to kind of work this stuff into you. Because uh, ultimately, I don't think God does all of the change that he wants to in our lives at one moment. He doesn't show us all of our sin at one moment uh, because it'd be too much for us. You know, we just think, can't be done. But he gives us, you know, the next step. So he really does just give us the next step. And I've been so blessed. Uh, I've been meeting with Rich for just, you know, th three weeks now or something. He's been helping me uh, through just some difficulties, you know, in my own life. And it's just been so good to, to, to see... Uh, who God's made me and how he doesn't want me to be doing certain things uh, and how I can actually then, you know, go into really going from being unloving, because that's the issue with me at the moment, to being more kind of loving. Uh, and so it's just, it's just been, it's been wonderful. And God, you know, really does this. You know, he really does this. You know, when I think back on myself, say five, six years ago, I uh, just think of what I did and, you know, what I thought was fun and all of that sort of thing. God has so changed my heart. Uh, he's just made me so much more sensitive. Uh, it's like when you go back to when you were a child and things are, you know, things just touch you in that kind of emotional way. And, you know, I don't say this to say, oh, wow, what a wonderful Christian I am. Uh, you know, I just say it that God is able to do this. He's able to renew our minds. And so let's just pray. And ask that God to do that for us. Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you that we come to you uh, safely in Christ. I thank you that it's only by grace that we're saved. Uh, you know, as you said back in Ephesians, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Uh, so I thank you that that each of us here who's a Christian has been saved purely by your grace. But Father, there's still areas of our lives where we still voluntarily give ourselves to sin, even though we're free and we shouldn't. 
And I just pray, Father, that right now you'd be revealing in people's hearts just the next area that you want to work in them on. And I pray, Father, that you would really place in their minds this amazing truth. I pray that you would teach them that that is not the way that they need to live anymore because they've been created anew in Christ and you have this wonderful new life and this incredible purpose for them and for, for, for all of us, Father. And so I pray, Father, that you'd be teaching us even this week. I pray that as we go out even today, we would just become aware of things that you're trying to steer us away from. So I just pray for everybody this week that as they go into the week, you'll be teaching them and that we'll have soft hearts and open hearts to you and your teaching. I pray this all, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.